Hello and welcome to episode 46 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian Dinavellis, and when you're right, you're right. And when you're woo, 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 to borrow a line from the great Arthur Fonzarelli, when you're woo, 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 let me compose myself. When you're wrong, wrong, you have to admit it. And folks, I was wrong, dead wrong, about Seton Hall. I thought they had no shot. I thought hell would freeze over before Seton Hall, this Seton Hall team, had a shot to go into Jersey Mike's Arena and beat Rutgers, a place that has been hell for any number of ranked teams over the last several years under Steve Peichel. You name it. Michigan State, Purdue, Iowa, Indiana, Michigan. You name the team, they've all gone in there and not only lost, but were embarrassed most of the time. And tell me one moment that Seton Hall had given you over the first several weeks of this season that led you to believe that this team would go in there and beat Rutgers. Well, there's a lot to talk about. That is why you cannot underestimate a rivalry. That is why you cannot underestimate a Shaheen Holloway coach team when you think they are down and out. I will never again underestimate either side in this rivalry because that's what it has become, a rivalry. And it's time now to bring in another voice, a man who knows a thing or two about Seton Hall-Rutgers rivalry games over the years, a man who goes way back to the 1980s when he was the voice of WSOU on Seton Hall Radio. His name is Joey Waller. And as I was talking to Joey before this game, I said Seton Hall had no shot. They would lose by 18. And Joey said to me, I think, call me crazy, but I think they have a shot to win. And I said, hmm. And he said, if they win, I'm coming on the podcast on Monday. So here he is, the man, the myth, the pirate legend, Joey Waller. Joey, it's good to talk to you. Hi, Dino. A couple things before we go any further. One, yes, my days as a Seton Hall student do go back to the 80s, but I did creep into the beginning of the 90s before I was gone. So let's make that clear, number one. And number two, I don't know if I can top you opening the show by quoting the great Arthur Fonzarelli, but I'll do my best to keep up. <laughs> uh, a man who knows a lot about quotes is you, Joey. So first of all, let me just hear your impressions on this this game and, and, and what you thought overall of the atmosphere, uh, the way Seton Hall manhandled Rutgers, and let's face it, beat Rutgers at their own game. Yeah, some Rutgers fans since the game last night, I see on social media saying neither team deserved to win, which is crazy and silly at the same time. I mean, both went a long way in this game in making the other look bad, right? It was the Hall's best defensive performance this year. They forced turnovers. They denied Amori. They held him to one dunk when I believe he's among the top few in the country in dunks. They pressured Mulcahy. And while Samuel was scoreless, as RU made a point of smothering him, 
I thought he still hung in from a toughness standpoint in the trenches and did play a factor in the game. The Defo, huge late block on Cliff down the stretch, which opened a lot of eyes. That was the Nadefo of St. Peter's in the Elite Eight last year, right? Yeah, and yeah. sure, are you, no question, missed many open looks and drives in the game. But guess what? So did the Hall. So I don't want to hear about how the game was there for Rutgers and they simply blew it. I mean, both teams had their chances. But again, I think that was largely because of what the opposition was doing. And let me go back to what you said a moment ago, Dino. You mentioned the three R's. Rivalry, rivalry, rivalry. I thought the Hall had a shot of winning this game regardless of the records, the matchups, the recent play of each team, because all those things, when it comes to this series, we've seen it forever, it all means next to nothing. I thought the Hall was the better rested team going in. They had more prep time. And there was a lot of talk, as you know, about whether RU would be adversely affected by a letdown from having that game stolen from them the previous time out at Ohio State. And there's no question. It's a terrible call. They should have won the game. Case closed. Right. I wasn't so much thinking that they might have a hangover from having the game stolen from them, if you will, as much as I was reasonably confident that they might very well just be pooped from playing a tough wire-to-wire game on the road against a conference opponent and one final thing that I thought the whole did have going for them going in is the fear of embarrassment. And that's a great motivator, especially in a rivalry game, to know that if you don't have your pencil sharpened, you could get blown out of the building. I think the whole knew that and they responded. They did. You bring up a lot of points. So let's begin with how Rutgers was coming off that emotional loss. I thought they would be able to turn the page and use that as motivation. They did not. Here's what Steve Peichel had to say after the game. He offered no excuses, but that the fact that they had one less day to prepare and they were still talking about the referee situation and that blown call at the end of the game, I think in some ways it did factor in. Here's what he had to say. It was a distraction, but there's a lot of distractions during the course of a season. And, you know, we just kind of tried to move on from that. But it was a quick turnaround, obviously, to this game. And, uh, you know, I don't like to make any excuses, but, you know, maybe it played a role in, in us not playing that way. But, you know, um, that's not an excuse. Seton Hall's good. He's a good coach. They got good players. Um, they do a really good job of stealing the ball, and that was a huge key for us, obviously, to not turn the ball over. Um, but these rivalry games, ever since I've been here, they've been a couple points here and there, you know, no matter what the records were of either team. So, you know, in the rivalry, you got to come and bring it. And uh, they brought it, and, then, and they deserve to win. Joey, Steve Peichel gives credit where credit is due, and I give him a ton of credit because this guy wins with class. He loses with class. Seton Hall beat Rutgers by playing Rutgers basketball. And in Steve Peichel's time in Piscataway, I can't remember a time when a team went into their building and beat them at their own game. So to me, this was fascinating to see. Your thoughts? Absolutely. And this is really who the Hall 
must be this year considering the personnel, right? Defense first, battling underneath, trying to protect the ball better. They're not good enough offensively for these turnovers galore that we've seen so far this year. That's what's been most baffling to me about this team are the turnovers from a veteran group, guys like Richmond and Dawes and Harris, that really should be avoiding all this sloppiness on the offensive end. They have to lead the way offensively. And last night, while it was no offensive masterpiece, to say the least, as you said, they were able to beat Rutgers at their own game. It was interesting seeing a number of the comments by Rutgers fans saying, I can't believe they were so bad offensively. What happened? I mean, Rutgers plays and wins a lot of games like this, as you just said. This should be no surprise. Okay, not in the 40s, but often in the 60s. Sure. So not a surprise to me the type of game it was, but perhaps a surprise only in that it was to that extreme. But as we've already discussed, Brian, extremes of all types are just one of the things that this series is all about, right? Yes, there, there's no question about that. Uh, we even saw, you know, here's some stats for you. Seton Hall uh, beat Rutgers in fast break points, 7 nothing. The rebounds needed to be close. Rutgers is one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They only had a, a two-rebound advantage, 32-30. to 30. We talked about the turnovers. Kaderi Richmond was a key player in this game. And Shaheen Holloway went out of his way to... Talk about his embattled point guard. We know that it might not be the greatest relationship between the two based on minutes. Uh, Kaderi Richmond was coming off a, an illness, didn't play in the prior game against Lincoln, but he was a key player in this game as well. And that's why Holloway went out of his way to acknowledge him and said, I I'm super proud of Kaderi. Let's listen to what Shaheen had to say about that, Joey. Super proud of Kaderi. You know, he's uh, coming from being ill. He played... Way too many minutes in the first half. I didn't think I was going to be able to play in the second half, but um, him and Dre fought through it, and I'm proud of both of those guys. Joey, we saw increased minutes from Shaheen Holloway on his point guard. Kaderi Richmond played 30 minutes in this game, probably more than what Shaheen wanted to see him play, but he knew he needed him to play. What did you think of Kaderi's performance? Well, on the defensive end with six steals, obviously he was a tremendous influence on what Seton Hall was able to accomplish, Brian, on the offensive end, not so much. Hopefully that's still to come. There's no question that he's the biggest X factor for Seton Hall going forward. And last night is a perfect example because he's a guy that can affect the game on both ends of the floor. And he's maybe the only pirate on most nights that really creates a matchup problem for the opposition. Normally when you look at the Seton Hall matchups, even if they have an okay matchup in a given spot, they don't have an overwhelming advantage. Richmond usually gives them that with his size, his length, his athleticism. You know, Mulcahy is a big point guard. Richmond is just as big, if not bigger, and obviously he's more athletic. So he's been in something of a funk this year. To say he's been inconsistent would be a wild understatement. <laughs> Seton Hall is going to need more games from him like this on the defensive end. But at some point, Brian, he is going to have to more closely resemble offensively the guy 
that we saw a year ago when he was right. We thought he was inconsistent last season. This year so far, for the most part, we're just waiting for him to come around offensively. He did it on the defensive end. Hopefully now he's ready to turn it on offensively and not just score more because Shaw has talked about that this season. But he's got to run this team. He's got to set guys up. He's got to be a leader. And so hopefully what we haven't seen from him so far this year is merely him still adjusting to the new system, the new coaching staff, whatever. But oftentimes the rest of the year, it's the old as as Richmond goes, so will go the Pirates. I, I agree with you 100% on that. You mentioned it before, the turnovers. He's got to keep the turnovers down against Rutgers. He had two turnovers in that game, two assists, but he had the six steals. I think, I know Shaheen Holloway would take that type of production from Richmond every night if he can get it from him on a consistent basis and put him out there for 30, 32 minutes a game. Another player. We have to give Casey and Defo his due. He was the MVP of this game. He won the Joe Calabrese Award for, as the MVP of the Garden State Hardwood Classic. Nine points, eight rebounds, three blocks, including that monster block on Cliff Amore. And Joey, that's athleticism right there. Because at best, Casey and Defo is six foot five. I don't care if it lists him at six seven. There's no way he's six seven. And he's going up against a guy in Cliff Amore, first team, all Big Ten, preseason, six foot eleven, dunking machine, and Casey and Defo blocked him. That right there is the play of the year. Forget about the play of the game, the play of the year for Seton Hall. Other than, well, let me take that back. Tyrese Samuel did hit a pretty big three against Memphis, so I'll put this <laughs> yes. <at> number two. <laughs> a Memphis team that, oh, by the way just beat Auburn, which will certainly help their net and through osmosis will help Seton Hall's net, whether that will be needed down the road by Seton Hall, of course, in contention for the big dance well is said. a long way off. But well uh, first of all, by the way, Dino, very impressive job by you sneaking out onto the floor last night with the tape measure to get the <laughs> official height on KC <laughs> and I did not see that on TV. So obviously you still have the quickness that I was not able to detect. Like but, a ninja, uh, yes, yes. At any height, Casey Nadefo just knows how to play basketball, right? He does the, the little things that you need in order to win. And I think because Seton Hall has not been playing well, has not been winning in recent games, the stuff he does often gets lost in the shuffle and perhaps he hasn't been doing quite as much of it as well. But, you know, he... He rebounds, he guards his man, he helps, he communicates, he's a leader. Still trying to figure out who the real leader or leaders are, are on this team. And certainly looking at it from our vantage point as a spectator, it appears that Casey Nadefo is as close to that as Seton Hall has right now. Perhaps he is that. We've heard all this talk about he's the messenger for Shaw in terms of letting the other guys know what's to be expected since he knows him best from St. Peter's. But no question, in a game like that, last night, close, down the stretch, uh, roll up your sleeves, I mean, fill in the cliche, that's a Casey Nadefo type of game. Those are the games where you need a guy like that on your team. 
And that's why Shaheen Holloway wanted him on his roster this year. He knew the importance of him. And let's face it, Seton Hall lacks a true center. So on a night when Tyree Samuel scores zero points, if you had told me before the game that Seton Hall's leading scorer would be held to zero points and would only take two shots, two field goal attempts, that tells you how great a job that Rutgers did in the post on Tyree Samuel. But you need other players to step up, and we've talked about a few, but the one guy that I think Seton Hall needed in this game, and they don't win this game without Dre Davis. So welcome back, Dre Davis. You see what type of a glue guy this guy can be. He led the team in 10 points. It's the intangibles that he brings. He had been missing for the past three games with uh, you know, some uh, reportedly some tendonitis in the knee. Having him out there was a jolt that Seton Hall needed, and, and they don't win this game without him, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think anyone that follows Seton Hall, Brian, knew just how good a player Dre Davis is until we saw him up close. He has been the most consistent performer for this team so far, minus, of course, the few recent games that he missed. Right now, one thing the Hall needs is anyone, we've kind of touched on it already talking about Richmond's inconsistency, but they just need anyone right now in that lineup to be a steady hand, to be there on a night-in, night-out basis. He has been the closest thing to that. He's a guy that does a little bit of everything on both ends of the floor. He's got a little toughness. He's got experience. And as you said, he certainly was key in the game last night, and they don't win that if he's not in the line. Yeah, even in the first half when when – you know, we're waiting for this Rutgers crowd to, to get into the game. And there were moments when, okay, Mawat Mag hit a corner three or Hyatt, and you heard the crowd start to go. But Seton Hall hit some threes early on in this game. I thought it was key the first eight minutes of this game that Seton Hall held a 10-9 advantage. Dre Davis was one of the guys, I think Jameer Harris hit an early three, and, and Dre Davis hit an early three that let Seton Hall know that, hey, you know, I'm going to be in here. You know, I got you. I'm not afraid of taking these shots. It was little things like that in the beginning of the game. And then the last four minutes of the game when Rutgers was held to just one point and went scoreless on multiple occasions uh, and possessions down the stretch. What did you think of the crowd there at Jersey Mike's Arena, Joey? To me, they didn't quite have that same energy that I've seen uh, in recent victories over top 25 teams? Well, they certainly didn't. And that is ironic considering that we heard more about that building and that crowd going into this game than I think any other Seton Hall-Rutgers matchup that we've witnessed. Why? Because Rutgers is a better team now. Because they've been chomping at the bit, waiting a couple of years now to get Seton Hall back in that building. We went the year without covid and so on and so forth in this rivalry. And so they were ready. The problem is they didn't deliver. You know, the Rutgers fans can complain all they want on social media about their team supposedly not showing up. The ones that really were a no-show last night were the Rutgers fans. Because you look at the decibel level in that building in some of the other big games they've played in recent years. And last night paled in comparison after the game began, they were ready at the tip, but then, you know, kind of like a, a heavyweight fighter that gets all geared up and, you know, 
spends all his energy in the first round. That was the Rutgers crowd. The most important parts generally of a game for a crowd to really get into it and make an impact on their team, the first several minutes, the last several minutes, that's presuming the game is reasonably close. They were nowhere to be found on either end of that game last night, Brian. The game was basically one or two possessions almost the entire night. And so they had their chances to get behind their team early and late and did neither. The only times that they really started to get into it were those one or two times when Rutgers went on a mini run. That's it. Anyone can cheer when a team is going great guns, when a team is off on a big run, when a team is blowing somebody out. I mean, you don't need the crowd then. They needed that crowd to be a sixth man last night. That was a nip and tuck game. And my question is, where were they? Jim Spinarkle mentioned it with about a minute or two left. He said on the telecast, where's the crowd? I can't hear them. So if you don't want to take it from me, a Seton Hall guy, folks, take it from Spinarco. He's a Jersey basketball legend. He's seen it and done a million games in that building. He knows what it can sound like. It didn't sound like it last night. And so I think Rutgers was certainly let down by that during the course of that game. Well said. Well said. I, I, I felt the same thing in that building. I don't think the crowd was enough of a factor. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that's why they lost, but... I think when you look at it, I think Rutgers players, the team, the fans really thought they were winning this game. And I think when the moment came and they're like, you said, you called it perfectly, a heavyweight fight where, uh-oh, you know, uppercut, uppercut, jab, and they go down for the standing eight count. What happens? How do you react from it? They were never able to really counterpunch except for that, that one, I think it was like an 18 to three run at the end of the first half when they were down 19-12, and then the beginning of the second half when they went up seven points. Other than that, there really wasn't much. It was Seton Hall that had the answer. And how about the fight that they showed when, I don't know if they saw it on TV, but Alamir Dawes hits a corner three, didn't hit many in this game, but he hit a big three in the corner, and Shaheen Holloway ran basically on the court and, and low-fived him. I don't know if you saw that, but it was a sight to see. That tells you how much, how big that bucket was and, and how much Seton Hall, they didn't let the moment get bigger than them. And that's another reason that I thought Seton Hall had more than a quote-unquote puncher's chance going into this game, Brian, is the simple fact that they needed the game more. Look at where their net is. Look at where their Ken Palm is. Lord knows five <laughs> or ten years ago, we had never even heard of these terms, and now they roll off our tongue as key points, right? But it's a fact. I mean, Seton Hall had to have this win just to get a win. And I made the point on social media, and I seem to make it every year about this game, win or lose, this Rutgers-Seton Hall rivalry. Every year, it seems, Rutgers fans treat it like the national championship, while Seton Hall, certainly to them and their fans, it's big as well. But I've never felt as a Seton Hall uh, supporter, alum, that we place nearly as much importance on the game. In this case, it was important in a huge way, but more because they just needed a win against any quality team. The fact that it was Rutgers just made it a little sweet. Seton Hall helped itself quite a bit by winning a quad one game on the road 
as of Monday morning, their net is 89. Their Ken Palm is 59. Probably on the outside looking in. Uh, but I don't think right now Seton Hall is concerned about NCAA tournament. They just want to get themselves right and, and you know, get ready for Big East play. So where, Joey, I ask you, where does Seton Hall go from here? Where does Rutgers go from here? Well, for Seton Hall, Brian, I think the good news is they're not going to face anyone in the Big East except maybe UConn that defends the way Rutgers does. I think while they're still trying to figure things out on the offensive end, last night needs to be a stern reminder of where they need to be defense-wise, toughness-wise, intensity-wise. While they're trying to figure out the X's and O's, new coach, new system, et cetera, et cetera, They've got to go out and compete as hard as they can every single night. Might sound like cliche city, but guess what? They've not been doing that lately. And mm -hmm. it doesn't just involve playing hard. It involves playing smart, not turning the ball over, protecting it, respecting these possessions. Seton Hall is just not good enough offensively right now to give possessions away. So if you're not scoring the way you'd like to be, at least stop handing the ball over to the other team. I think there's still room for this team to grow offensively. Samuel, Dawes, uh, Harris, a couple of other guys. But let's face it, I think we know enough by now to know this team is not going to have an 18 or 20 point per game guy. Last night should show them that they don't necessarily need that if they can do some of these other things. For Rutgers, I got to tell you, I like Rutgers a lot. I like them going into the year. I thought they had a chance to be better this year than the last couple and go further in the postseason this season, even without the two big guys they lose in Baker and in Harper. True, they don't have those go-to guys at the end of games, but remember, those guys often were very up and down, particularly Geo, during the course of entire games. It's just they happen to hit some big shots in key moments late. We all know what they are. But on a game-in-game-out basis, it's not like these guys were, you know, the picture of consistency. So I think when you look at the fact that they're deeper, they're better defensively, they have better rebounding, I think even though it's more of a balanced offensive attack, I still like them the rest of this season to have a real good year. And I've got to chastise these Rutgers fans. A couple of games ago, they were going crazy in favor of this team after the way they smacked around then number 10, Indiana. They dominated that game at times. And that was without Amori and without Mulcahy having their usual good games. And then they basically played pretty well in Ohio State before getting the game robbed from them on that terrible call, a game they obviously should have won. So how now, as a Rutgers fan, as many have, can you go on social media and say, looks like the NIT, Peichel can't coach offense. I mean, this team has never been great offensively under Peichel. And look at the strides they've taken. It amazes me how many things we saw from Rutgers last night that they often do in wins, but because it came in a loss and particularly because it came to Seton Hall, all of a sudden people are jumping off the bandwagon. Let me tell you, Rutgers has a darn good team and a hell of a coach, and I'd be very excited about the rest of the year and just forget that this game happened. Joey, you bring up excellent points. I, I will say this, fans have short memories and, and they live and die with their teams 
too much at times, especially when it's a rivalry game. And one thing neither Seton Hall nor Rutgers has, this game was evident, a go-to guy. You mentioned it. We talked about it. There's no Jared Roden. There's no Miles Powell. There's no Geo Baker. There's no Ron Harper Jr. So collectively, these teams, the, the sum of their whole has to be greater than the indi individual parts. Uh, we'll see where they go from here. Joey Waller, we can live in a world, I think we can agree, where moving forward, Seton Hall and Rutgers can do well if they remember who they are. Absolutely, Brian. And one quick final point, quick message for you Rutgers fans out there. If anyone has an extra T-shirt from last night at the rack, you know, the ones you guys were <laughs> touting before the game that say deck the hall, just send one my way, will you? Because I can definitely put it up on the wall and in my man cave. It'll look just great in there. <laughs> Touche. Joey Waller, you get the last word. Great talking with you. Thanks for coming on for a few minutes. We'll talk Always to you. great, you know. Thanks a lot. There you have it, Joey Waller throwing the last jab. I, I must admit, I saw the deck the halls shirt, very clever. But you better make sure when you create something like that, you better back it up. And on this night, Rutgers and their fans were not able to back it up. So where do they go from here, Rutgers? We've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. They faced a five-game stretch where I said they needed to go no worse than two and three. I expected them to go three and two, but now it's not looking so good. Their only win against Indiana and a very good one, but they lost to Miami in Miami. They lost to Ohio State at Ohio State, and they lost to Seton Hall at home, one and three. If they lose to Wake Forest on Saturday, one in four, this team is licking its wounds, wondering what happened over the last three weeks. Beat Wake Forest at home like you should, a quality Wake Forest team. You're still two and three. You're in good shape with momentum going into the heart of the Big Ten schedule with 18 league games yet to go. One and four is not the end of the world, but you need one more quality win. Wake Forest would be a nice win and a win they have to have. You need Mulcahy. You need McConnell. You need Amori to do better than a combined four for 18. That's what those three shot. Four for 18 against a hungrier, grittier Seton Hall team. I don't expect those three to have a performance like that again against Wake Forest. I don't expect those three to have a performance like that again this season. They're going to find a way to get it done, I have a feeling. Meanwhile, Seton Hall, they have to carry this momentum over. This is a game at the end of the year, no matter where the dust settles. Seton Hall could look back on and say, that's where it all turned around. That's where it clicked. That's where we found our identity as a defensive-minded, collective, hungrier unit. A team that rebounds, a team that defends as a unit, a team that turns you over, a team that takes advantage of your mistakes. 
Not the best offensive team, but a team that can score when they need to and can get defensive stops when they need to. That's the team Seton Hall has to be moving forward. Will they continue to buy into Shaheen Holloway's system? Tyrese Samuel won't go scoreless the rest of the way. We know that. They're going to have a different hero or heroes each night. Will they be able to accept their roles as long as they find a way to get the win? That is the question for Seton Hall moving forward. Both teams, Rutgers, Seton Hall, are a work in progress. They still have some work to be done and some wins to be had before they enter or re-enter conference play. I think both teams right now are fringe NCAA tournament teams. I agree with Joey. If you ask me today, Rutgers is in, last four in, somewhere in that trajectory. Seton Hall is on the outside looking in. But they're both bubble teams as we talk right now, December 12th, 2022. So that is your Rutgers, Seton Hall, Garden State, Hardwood Classic rivalry recap. My thanks to Joey Waller. You can catch him on ABC Radio. You can also hear him doing play-by-play for Wagner University men's basketball on the internet. I hope that we don't see another Seton Hall-Rutgers game like this for another 80 years because that's about what it was, about 75 years. The last time we saw a low combined score like this, 45-43. The last time we had a combined score like that in this series, 1947. Let's hope it doesn't happen for another 75 years. We have more basketball this week. And as long as there's college basketball, you know we will have a podcast for you right here on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Continue to spread the word. Continue to like us. Continue to share the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, and write us a review. I really appreciate it as we continue to try to grow this and spread the message in the Tri-State. My name is Brian DiNovellis. Enjoy the games, everyone. So long for now.